Today we're continuing on in our series in Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, starting verse 18, going to the end of the chapter. We're wrapping up our series here, and uh, today is not the last day, but next Sunday will be. And I've enjoyed it. I pray that, and I hope that you have as well, and it's been fruitful for your faith and walk with the Lord. And uh, today we're in Genesis 9, chapter 8, chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. If you would, follow along with me. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, Jephthah. And Ham was the father of Canaan. And these were the sons of Noah. And from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told two brothers outside. Then Sham and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke <coughs> from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. And he said... Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Jephthah, and let him dwell in the house of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the many blessings that you've given to us. And thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this place to worship you. And Father, we uh, thank you for just the many elements of worship that we have today that we've already experienced, the, the baptism, the, the singing of songs, the prayers, the gifts. And, and now we're at your word and later we'll be at the table. And so, Father, there's just uh, so many things uh, that give us the opportunity to respond to you today, to be obedient, to hear your word, to sense your presence. Father, what a shame it would be if we go through all these motions and never allow for you to speak to us, never allow for the opportunity to respond. Father, I pray that we don't leave this place unchanged, but rather that we would be renewed by your word, by worship, through this service, Lord. We pray that not only our lives would be changed, but, Father, that you would receive honor and glory, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, I recognize that I have a part in that. And so, if you would, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life. And give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that bring honor and glory to your name, a way that brings sinners to repentance and believers into a time of renewal in their relationship with you. And, Lord, I know there are people here today that are believers, that are followers of you, and they're tired, and they're struggling, and they're weak, and they're just angry, upset exhausted, unsure why they're even here. Maybe some people are just 
They don't even want to be here. But Father, I pray that through this service, they would be reminded of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy that's found through Jesus, of your love for them. For the unbeliever that's here today, the person that has never accepted Jesus, I pray that today would be a day where they acknowledge their need for Jesus, that they too want to step into those baptismal waters and share with others what Christ has done for them. They want to taste of the bread, they want to drink of the cup, and they want to be in fellowship with one another. Father, I pray that they would see the goodness of your church, your bride. They would see that it was so important to you, it is so important to you, that you would send your son Jesus to die for it. No small thing that we do in here today, Lord. Help us. Give us the grace to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. This past week uh, was the, the first week uh, that our, our secretary, administrative assistant, hasn't been employed. Okay. Uh, she took another job. I shared this with you here a few weeks ago. Uh, but I've learned to appreciate Kay a lot more this week. Uh, and, I've learned to appreciate all that she does and all that she did and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of respect uh, to those of you who are in that line of work. I am really grateful for Kathy and all the ladies that came in this week and I'm praying that we'll continue to come in in the following weeks uh, and help. Uh, we haven't officially hired anybody, but we're, we're, we've narrowed it down pretty close and, uh, and so we're excited about that process and what that's going to be for our church. But over the last few weeks, we've received a lot of resumes, and uh, Sarah has done just a great job of helping me find how to find some great candidates, Sarah Siemens, and so just, you know, she has done a really good job with helping me. But I've had uh, just an overwhelming number of resumes come in, and some of the resumes are better than others, you know, and some of the candidates are, are you know, I've interviewed a lot of people, and some of those candidates, they interview better than others. And, you know, it's just been, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses, though. But, I, I, I mean, I have really been impressed with the amount of people that apply and the amount of really great candidates that we've received. Uh, sometimes, though, it, it just hasn't gone all that well, you know. One day I had four interviews scheduled, and not one person showed up. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, you know what I mean? And so... But, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we've done a lot of hiring uh, over the last year and a half since I've been here. And uh, I, uh, I just think, I mean, like, I, they don't teach you how to do that in seminary. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just one of those sayings that they just, they don't teach you those kind of things. Maybe they should, I don't know. But, but I've, I've found that as I look at these candidates and I've interviewed them, the best ones, I mean, there have been some really good ones too. I'm not, I'm not lying. But the best ones that I've come, I've come in and, and sat down and we've interviewed have just talked about the desire to, to have meaningful work. Like that's what they want. And some of these people, I mean, they are overqualified for this job. 
And they're working in places where they are, I mean, it's like, you want to come and work here? I mean, you want to, you want to, do, you want to, you want to stop what you're doing now and come and work here? I mean, like, that's, that's pretty humbling, honestly. But the desire over and over and over again, I see people wanting to have meaningful work. They want to go to a job where their work matters. It's amazing, you know. My philosophy for hiring someone is the same for anything. It's, it's easier to find the right person than to get rid of the wrong person. The same is true with any type of leadership position. You know, you want to make sure that you're putting the right person for the right job. You know, and I tell that for people that are getting married, it's easier to find the right husband than get rid of the wrong one. Same with wives. It's easier to find the right wife than get rid of the, the wrong one. But you want to find the right person for the right job. And sometimes we find ourselves in positions where we shouldn't be in, in leadership. Like, hey, I, man, I, I shouldn't have volunteered for this. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm never going to do it again. Let me just tell you, just, this hasn't anything to do with my sermon. But if you're in a position at this church where you think, I hate what I'm doing, I hate this part of my my responsibility, just come and talk to me. Like, we'll get you out of there. Like, we don't want, like, you don't need to be a martyr, okay, for Sunday school. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it don't matter. Just come, let's just have a conversation, okay? Like, it, we'll get out of it. If you don't want to be on the personnel committee, hey, it's time to, you know, you can't get out and you can't get out, but everybody else. <laughs> but you want the right person for the right job. And sometimes that takes time. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight, and you've got to allow for some time where there's just, it's hard, it's difficult, and you're like, man, I really want somebody in here, but you want the right person for the right job. In our passage of Scripture for today, we are closing in the narrative of Noah's story and going to, again, close our time in Genesis here real soon. But as we do, I can't help but acknowledge that Noah was the right guy for the right job at the right time. God knew what he was doing when he called Noah to build that ark, amen? I mean, he did. God is good at doing that, by the way. God is good at finding the right person for the right job. When God calls us to do something, it's for a reason, because you're the right person for the right job at the right time. Noah was righteous in his generation. He was faithful. He was obedient. He was resilient. He walked with God. He was patient. He was committed, dedicated to the work that God had called him to do. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark was Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah. And from these people, the whole earth was dispersed. Many of your translations will not say dispersed, but they will use the word Populated. I read this week that it's believed that through modern microchondrial DNA studies, don't ask me what that is, that the original humans came from North Africa. And it's also believed that through separate studies, that the human languages, the original, the origin rather, of human languages came from northern India. If you get a map, okay. Some of us are not geographically uh, literate. We have challenges in those areas. But if you get a map and you see what's, how close these places are, 
and you see what's between. It's pretty, pretty amazing, honestly. Okay, it's not like South America, not like China. I mean, it's very, I mean, the geographic of these is quite amazing. And also, you know, like, you cannot tell race, someone's race, by their DNA. DNA is, it all looks the same, no matter what your, no matter what your race is. Why is that? Friends, the first task that Noah had was to do what? When he got off that boat, the first command that God gave him was to be fruitful and multiply. That, I mean, for him and for his family, it was to be fruitful and to multiply. All the earth was destroyed. All of mankind, only people on the earth were this family. If you look at the very first command that God gave to mankind was what? Be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) The earth is for man, friends. God created the world for you because God is love and he wants to share that love with you. One of the most basic and core responsibilities as humans is to repopulate the earth. I mean, that's one of the most basic jobs we have. If you remember in Genesis 2, 24, it reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. These are basic fundamental principles to who we are as created beings. We are to repopulate that. We are to, to, to cling to our wives, our husbands. This is basic understanding of mankind's responsibility. The world's population is just under 8 billion people. I mean, really close to 8 billion. It's amazing. We go from like a family to 8 billion people. That number will continue to increase but the pace is actually slowing down. Fewer people are having babies and, and fewer people, or more people rather, are having no babies. In places like Russia, there are more people that are dying than being born. And, and Russia is not a place where people, like young families, like, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to move to Russia and start a business. It's not a, population, a popular destination for young families. In America, though, it's, we have... People from outside countries wanting to move to America and start a family, start a business. They want to live out the American dream. So our population numbers are increasing largely because people from the outside are coming in. When I was in college, I went on a, a mission trip to China. The next year, I went on a mission trip to India. And... I came back from these trips, and one of the things I realized is that there are internationals on my campus. I mean, there were a ton of internationals on my campus, thousands of internationals on Indiana State University's campus. You know, my, my college minister, she, she started a, her and her husband team here, they, they started a ministry 
for, to internationals. They started teaching English as a second language, as a gateway to share the gospel with internationals. Because you know what they thought? Hey, I mean, it, we're called to go to the nations, but the, the nations are coming to us. I mean, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to get the gospel into their hands, and then they can go back to their nations and do what? Share the gospel with their family, with their friends, with their communities. And so you know what I did? I became friends with international students. I started sharing with them the gospel. I still went on mission trips. I still do to this day. But friends, we are, we are called not just to make disciples of the nations, but we're also in our own Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. I mean, we are called to go right here. Friends, our job as disciples is to make disciples. Sometimes we need to go to South America. Sometimes we just need to go downtown. Sometimes, friends, we just need to go to our home. Sometimes we are, we are, we are in need to be reminded that we have children at home that need to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, the, some of the best disciples you will ever make are your children. Some of the very best disciples is your children. It's to train them up in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Noah had three sons. He gave them front row seat of why being faithful mattered. I mean, he gave them a front row seat of the importance of being faithful to God, of walking with the Lord, of being obedient, being resilient, persistent, dedicated, faithful, righteous man of God. I mean, he, I mean, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine seeing all that you see with Noah? I mean, being on that boat, I mean, why else? I mean, do you need any more of an example? Can you think of any better of an example to be faithful than just looking at Noah's life? I mean, look what happened to everybody else that was disobedient, unrighteous, unfaithful, evil. They were destroyed, friends. Destroyed. I mean, you need a reason to be faithful. Look at your dad. Look at him. I mean, this is what happens. God rewards. God blesses. God is with you. You need another reason? You need more motivation to be faithful than to look at this? No. I mean, I, I can't think of a better reason, a better example they could ever have. Their father set the bar. <laughs> Noah was an example. He was an example to his children. He was an example to all of us. I mean, his story is famous, friends. Noah was an example to his children, but also to, the same would be said about you. You're an example. Some of you are better examples than others. I, I have to constantly ask myself, though, friends, Am I, am I being a good example to my children? 
I constantly have to ask myself this question. And what I'm doing now, is that going to positively affect my children's faith? You know, is that is it going to harm them? Or is it going to give them hope? Is it going to be an example? Positive? Negative? They're going to see what I do and think to themselves, well, if dad does that, then I can do that. If dad acts like that, then maybe I can act like that. If dad treats mom like that, then I can treat. You're an example. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Jephthah tore a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Two things I just want to address here, okay? One, the first thing is that Noah sinned. As we just mentioned, he was an example. Noah was an example. He wasn't always perfect. Parents, take a deep breath, relax. As great of an example as Noah was, he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. It happens. It's okay. Your kids will be okay. Even though you make mistakes, even though you don't always do everything perfectly, it's okay. All right? Take a deep breath. Relax. Noah was a farmer. He was the first person ever recorded to make wine. Psalm 104.15 reads, Wine makes man's heart glad. But Proverbs 20 reads, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wine isn't the issue in this story, friends. Wine isn't the issue. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have turned water into wine if alcohol was the problem. But in every situation that I read in Scripture, we see drunkenness is a problem. It's never seen in a good light. Not once, not one time. Drunkenness is never seen in a good light. I do believe, I mean, I think oftentimes we think that there's a fine line there, right, between that. But I think it's a little bit more clear than we let on. But there, there is, I'll say this, a fine line where you can be led astray by alcohol, where we can be unwise, where it can become a, a bad example. This was no different. Noah drank too much, and as a result, he laid naked in his own tent. He lacked modesty and decency. He was led astray. He was unwise. And, and something happened with him and his son that caused for shame to happen, not just for him, but also for his son. I told you this before, but my father was an alcoholic. My, my earliest memories of my dad were not positive ones, friends. I'll save you the details on that. But... Today, my father will not touch it. 
I mean, he's been sober for a long time, but even to this day, he will say, I'm nothing more than an old drunk. For a lot of people, alcohol is their vice. Uh, one of my best friends gave up alcohol, and he said that it was the most liberating thing that he ever did to give it up. Others can take a glass of wine at dinner and does not lead them astray, does not cause them to be unwise, does not cause them to act foolish. It makes their heart glad. Both are okay to say, you know what, I can't do this. It's my vice. I don't want anything to do with it. All right? That's one approach. Another is to say, you know what, this is something that God has given to us. It's not my vice. It doesn't destroy my testimony. It doesn't cause me to be a bad example. But if I'm not careful, it can be. Parents, listen to this. If you hear anything that I say today, I pray that you hear me on this. You can do everything right. You can do everything right outside of your home. You can be the best example. You can be faithful. You can be true. You can be kind. You can be righteous. You can preach the best sermons, teach the best Sunday school, sing the greatest songs, serve faithfully for years upon years upon years. You can be here every Sunday. You can dress your kids up. You can make sure their grandkids are here. You can, you can set the example. But if you do not do that inside of your home as well, then everything that you do outside is meaningless. The most important example that you can set for them is inside those four walls. When the light isn't on, no one's watching, just your family, just your wife, just your husband, just your kids. Marcus Dodd says this about Noah. Noah is not the only man he walked uprightly and kept his garment unspotted from the world so long as the eye of man was on him. But he was laying uncovered on his own tent floor. The second thing that we see here in this passage is the need for us to honor our mother and our father. In the story, there's a lot of unknowns. It's vague, I think intentionally vague. Some things, friends, are just left, better left unsaid. Don't need to be mentioned, don't need to be talked about. Just too personal. But what Ham did was he dishonored his father. We look at the drastic difference between the one son and the two others. And even as their fathers did wrong, they showed what? respect and honor I think there's one more thing here uh, it's just worth mentioning uh, you know our, our 
one of our responsibilities as, as followers of the Lord is to, to honor our mother and our father. You know, I think what goes along with that is the need for us to, to honor someone else's mother and father. To not be disrespectful. To not disrespect our elders or disrespect somebody else's parents. Especially, I mean, there are... There are a lot of negative things that people could say about my father, but they never say those things to me, you know? When people talk about my dad to me, you know what they always say? The good things. And there's a lot of good things that could be said about my dad. But there's also a lot of things that could be said on the negative as well. But they don't dishonor my father in front of me. It'd be shameful for them to do that. To dishonor a man in front of his children. To dishonor a woman in front of her kids, in front of her husband. The same could be said about me. The same could be said about you, friends. Ham dishonored his father. He did so in such a way that when Noah awoke, verse 24, from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The servant of servants shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may the God enlarge Jephthah, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So again, Ham did something so egregious to dishonor his father that Noah would curse Ham's offspring and bless the other two sons. Ham's son, Canaan, would become a servant to both of his brothers. If we look forward through the Old Testament, the Canaanites, Canaan, son of Ham here, the Canaanites were always at odds with Israel. They were not good people. They were swindlers, deceivers, unrighteous, unholy people. Always at odds, friends, with Israel. Israel, on the other hand, were descendants of Shem. And from Jephthah came many people. It says here that may God enlarge Jephthah. And that's what happened. God enlarged his descendants and from him extended through the nations. We look at the story of Noah as it ends here. And I just think about, again, just Noah being the right man for the right job. You know, not only did he bring forward the example, but he also brought with him sin from the old life. And that's still here for us today. The opportunity to be righteous, the opportunity to be faithful, and sin is still crouching at our door, friends. In 2020, Dusty Baker became a finalist to be the baseball manager for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he didn't get the job. Uh, he left disappointed. When he went back to his home in California, his son said to him, Dad, maybe this wasn't the right job. Maybe this wasn't the right opportunity. But 
there will be an opportunity that will be right for you. It'll be the right time, the right place, the right situation. A week later, Dusty Baker got a phone call from the Houston Astros to come and be the baseball managers for that team. The Astros had just basically gone through one of the most shameful, dishonoring situations in MLB's history. They were cheating. They were doing things that weren't right. But last night, as the manager of the Houston Astros, Dusty's team defeated the Philadelphia Phillies to become the World Series championship. After the game, one of the Astros' star players, Jose Altuve, said this. He came here at the right time, at the right place. He was the right man for the job. He, uh... been a manager for 24 years, 25 years, and never won a World Series. This is his first time. He became the oldest man to ever win a World Series. And he said, he goes, Dusty Baker said, you know what, I knew it was going to happen. I just, a matter of sooner or later, it's going to, it had to happen, you know. You know, uh, you know how he became a manager, Dusty Baker? He played in the league, I think, for like 15 years Played for the Braves and I think the Giant, you know, the Dodgers, and uh, and then he went and became a, a stockbroker. And uh, I think it was in 1987. There was some controversy in the MLB. They didn't have enough minority coaches in the league. So Hank Aaron called Dusty Baker, the great Hank Aaron, and he said, "Hey, would you consider being a coach, a manager?" He said, one of the MLB execs had your name at the top of the list that would be a good fit to be a coach. So he, he got a coaching job with the San Francisco Giants as a first base coach, then a hitting coach, and then became the manager for 24 years, 25 I think now. He became a, a manager and he's still continuing to go. Last night after the game, he came and he talked to the, after the, after the, after the game, there was like a, a show, right? And uh, Frank Thomas, David Ortiz, and A-Rod, all minority baseball players, Hall of Fame baseball players, shook his hand and said, you know what? You have been an example for so many minority players of what it means to play this game, to coach this game the right way. Right man, right place, right time. And I just think about, you know, Dave, Dusty Baker's career has just really just been a, he's been in places where there's controversies, there's difficulties, there's hardships. And just think about your life, friends. There's hardships, there's difficulties. Think about this church, hardships, difficulties. 
God doesn't make mistakes, though. You know, our God is not a God that calls people for the wrong reasons. He doesn't call the wrong person. When he calls you and says, hey, I need you to do this, it's, he's, he's asking you because you're the right person for the right job at the right time. There, there isn't a better person. That's what God's saying. He goes, I want you. And, and it's, God calls us not just to service, but he calls us to salvation. He calls us to, to holiness, to righteousness. And he calls us to be faithful stewards, to serve. And God is calling you, each and every one of us. He calls us to this opportunity to be faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we have to do is say, yes, I want that in my life. I want to be a child of God. It's a fir- Before we can get anywhere else down the road, we have to make a decision to say, I want to be faithful to Jesus. And that's a decision that you have to make as God calls you, as he beckons you, as he speaks to you, he lays it on your heart. It's our responsibility, friends, to say, yes, I'll go. But understanding that there's going to be hardships, there's going to be difficulties, it's not going to be all a bed of roses that we're going to be laying on for the rest of our life. The call to faithfulness is a call to say yes to the unknown. And sometimes it's hard, it's difficult. And sometimes we we don't want to do it. Sometimes it's daylight savings time and it's like the next day it's not and we got to get up. I mean, it's like it's... It's difficult. Sometimes it's, that person's going to be there. I don't like that guy. Sometimes it's, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Sometimes it's, I'm hurt. Sometimes it's, this is the first time I'm, I'm going to church without my wife. Sometimes this is the first time I'm going to church without my son. Sometimes this is the first time I'm going to walk an aisle. I know that God is calling me to to come forward, and that's scary, and it's hard. Sometimes I just need to say, you know what? I've made a mistake. I've been a bad example, and I needed to change this in my life. And I need help. I can't do it on my own. I've tried and I've tried and I just can't do it anymore. I need help. But when God calls, friends, it's our job to answer. It's our responsibility to say yes. God is not in the business of making mistakes, friends. God is a God that overcomes and overcomes, and overcomes, and overcomes. No matter the situation, no matter the difficulty, God will overcome. And with God's help, you can as well. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place. And we want to just acknowledge, Father, that we need you, that we need your help here today. So, Father, if you would allow for us this opportunity to hear the
you're placing on our life, to hear the call that you're placing on our life, and to respond with instant obedience, Lord. Father, I pray that there's someone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray that today will be that day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I pray that there's a believer that's here today that's struggling, that you would give them the grace that they need to answer the call that you are placing on their life. Father, I pray that this is a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples. I pray that this is a church that, that makes disciples that, that go into ministry. They go to China or they, they go to Africa or they go to Europe or they go to South America. They go and they serve. They answer, no matter what the call that you place on their life, I pray this is a church that makes disciples that say yes. Father Jesus, we love you so much and we pray all these things in your name and all God's people said.